Oh, so you like listening to podcasts, huh? Well, so do a lot of people. As a matter of fact, millions of listeners are tuning into podcasts every week, and your next customer could be one of them. Did you know that podcast advertising is one of the most effective ways to advertise your product or service? And it's really easy to get started. Just go to podbean.com slash brands. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands to start boosting your business with podcast advertising today. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Leadership Podcast. In this HCL podcast episode, I talk with Eric Thomas and Bridget McAdoo about how to demystify corporate social activism. Eric and Bridget, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you for having Thanks, John. us. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you're joining me from different parts of the country, I believe. Eric, you're joining me from Texas. Bridget, where are you at? In the D.C. area. In the D.C. area. Wonderful. And I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. So we're representing different parts of the country. Uh, and I think it's pretty hot and warm where all of us are located right now. But hopefully we'll have nice fall weather here soon. Uh Today, we're going to be talking about demystifying corporate social activism. And I'm really, really thrilled to have um, both of these wonderful guests here with me today to have this conversation. As we get started, I just wanted to share briefly a little bit about Eric and Bridget. Eric Thomas leads the DEI practice at Genesis. He is charged with developing global programs that deliver progressive diversity and foster an inclusive culture throughout the company. Uh, and Bridget McAdoo is the VP and Chief Sustainability Officer at Genesis. She is responsible for sustain- sustainability as a management approach that holistically optimizes Genesis's economic, social, and environmental impact. And I could say a lot more about both of you, but I'm going to pause there, refer people to the show notes uh, for a more thorough background, uh, and give both of you a chance to say a little bit more about your background and personal context, and then we'll just dive on into the conversation. I I am our first chief sustainability officer coming on the heels of Eric being our first uh, chief diversity and inclusion officer. It gave me the opportunity to kind of come in and look at how can we continue to build momentum off of all of the commitments and the values that we have at Genesis. So we started our journey really in January 2021 of driving sustainability and, and making it just part of our organic DNA of at Genesis. And over the past two and a half, almost three years, I think we've done a fantastic job of really um, inoculating it within our culture. Mm. Um, and we've seen it 
through um, we're very transparent about the goals that we set and making sure that we measure those goals. So especially even if I just talk about it from an environmental perspective, having year on year reductions in our emissions and putting together foundational um, strengths with our policies, um, having great engagement with our employees and our ambassadors globally, and then collectively collaborating consistently with Eric's team on uh, making sure as they uh, drive DEI across the organization. So I'll pass it over to Eric and he can talk about all the great momentum and strides that we've made through our diversity initiatives. Yeah, thanks, Bridget. So as Bridget uh, mentioned, I, I also have the privilege of serving as Genesis' first chief diversity officer. Uh, we started our journey in July of 2020. So we just kind of hit that, that three-year mark. And uh, it, it has mostly been about how do we embed the concepts of inclusion at its core into the DNA of how we operate as a company? And that um, looks into just about every practice, every procedure, and to yeah. some degree, several policy. Um, you know, how do we make sure it is embedded and built in a very sustainable way that outlives me uh, and even Tony, our CEO, Neo. <laughs> You know, um, and that was kind of part of the conversation when we started. And, you know, over the past three years, I'd say it has been quite the journey. Uh, we've seen our workforce really, really embrace a number of the different concepts that we rolled out. One of them being, you know, um, reaching parity with the representation of workforce to align with the markets in which we operate and serve. We focus on uh, you know, gender equality around the globe and we lean in on various race and ethnic groups in, in the U.S. And, you know, if, if anyone's interested, you can look at the the recent uh, sustainability report that we published this past year, I think it was back in June, that shares progress over those three years and really speaks to, I would think, the, I would say the level of commitment that uh, Genesis has demonstrated at, at, you know, really bringing DEI to the forefront. Well, thank you both for that background. And it's really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned July of 2020. That's the middle of the pandemic. Um, that's the middle of like, we're in the George Floyd moment. Uh, there's a lot of social and political upheaval uh, at that time, not to mention the pandemic and um, vaccines and masking and all the debates around all of that. Uh, that was a, a challenging time for everyone, I think. Um, and organizations were trying to figure out how they were going to respond um, to all of the broader social environment around them. Uh, was that part of what drove the establishment of your areas at that time, three years ago? I would say absolutely. Yes. You know, I, I will say that, you know, and um, I had a number of conversations with Tony Bates, our CEO, uh, when, when I was approached about this role, because I, I did a pivot, I, I was leading a global professional services team and I really had been working and cultivating a, 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 a career over the past two decades as an IT consultant. So, I'm not a traditional or seasoned uh, diversity practitioner, but, you know, I was approached at that time by Tony as, you know, I, I guess you would say as, or as it was articulated to me as a trusted leader in the company who could help us pivot with something very important to him. And, and you know, and even though, uh, you know, admittedly the George Floyd, the aftermath of that and the, and the tragic murder of George Floyd served as the catalyst for us jumpstarting our diversity efforts, you know, I believe it was always part of Tony's agenda to have a yep. diversity office. He was only he was less than a year and a half into his his post as CEO. And I think those efforts just accelerated 
uh, you know, this is work as a priority for, for him and for our company. I'll also say that um, with everything that you outlined that was happening during that period, uh, COVID, um, the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, everything that we were experiencing in you know the summer and the fall of 2020, I think it served as a litmus test for Genesis. And it mm-hmm. really uh, created the opportunity for us to truly define what are our cultural values? Where do we stand in the midst of these, these types of scenarios and how they intersect with our business objectives? And, and I think what we saw was a set of values that, it, uh, that emerged with uh, empathy as the cornerstone that led to not just the work that we're doing on a diversity front, but as Bridget alluded to earlier, you know, bringing Bridget in and um, building out our sustainability efforts as well. You know, we've seen over the past year as the, if you compare 2020 and 2021 to today and how diversity and sustainability is being led, uh, I still feel that we are just as committed today as we were two and three years ago. And that is something that you don't see in some companies. They're starting to revert a little bit. And so to Eric's point, I think it was always part of Tony's um, true desire for how the business was going to pivot under his leadership. So this wasn't just a response. It was actually, Mm -hmm. yeah, just that catalyst to get to where we are today. Yeah. And I like the, the framing around catalyzing, um, because I, I think that was the case for many organizations, uh, uh, organizations I've been involved with for a long time. were in the same boat. Like these were important values to them. They're things that they talked about, that they trained on, that they, you know, they put time and energy towards, but it was, it was just like this moment where all these different things were converging all at the same time. And, uh, it just kind of pushed people to kind of either like stand up and, and do something, say something, um, beyond performative measures, but like to actually do something, uh, or, you know, to, to show their true colors and, and perhaps, you know, it'd be an organization that people weren't as happy to be a part of, um, Mm -hmm. during that time. And so I think, I think it definitely, that, that period of time was a catalyst and in the, over the last three years, of course, we've seen so much continual kind of change and upheaval and, uh, it, it, it's no easier today than it was then. Right. Um, and I did want to ask about that performative element because you both kind of referred to it a little bit. There's lots of organizations that say the right things. They put out a press statement, you know, when something happens. Um, but do they really bring this into how they run the company, their core values, the policies, practices, and procedures that, that create the environment in which people come to work and, and, and how they do the work that they do. Um, tell us a little bit more about Genesis and, and how you got beyond the, the performative aspects. Uh, it's important, you know, to signal and to, to um, demonstrate support, you know, in, in a variety of, of, of ways, but getting beyond the signaling, how do you get into actually doing the work? Sure. It's a very fair question, especially now as we're starting to see regression in some places and some companies. I think the reason why we're continuing to see uh, momentum at Genesis is because we wanted to ensure that this was extremely intentional and authentic to us. Um, So as we wanted, you know, if we thought about our environmental journey, we wanted to make those goals. We want to be transparent about those goals, even as a privately held company, right? You don't see a lot of privately held companies come out like the way we have. We wanted to report. And, you know, the minute we put out our first sustainability report with goals and um, a baseline for not just environment, but for diversity, that was something you didn't see most uh, companies do, especially privately held companies of our size or any size. Uh, so th- there was always this 
intentionality that we have put towards it. And um, we're extremely, you know, I have PTSD when it comes to sustainability language. I don't, I'm extremely careful. I want us to make sure that we, um, if we're going to make a statement that we feel absolutely confident that we can stand by it any day or at any time. Um, so we do not say things we don't mean. And we put uh, our efforts forward in places and in spaces that we know we can truly um, execute on. So I think the intentionality and the commitment that we have across our leadership team is what helps us to stay out of that performative and to really be an intentional change that we are, we're driving. Yeah, I, I think I would probably only add, you know, you, you to the to the, um, to the the getting at the center of your question of what do we do differently I mean, you, when I look at both of our sustainability and our diversity aspirations, uh, we, you know, not only do we make them public, we also report out on them as part of our key uh, corporate uh, dashboard initiatives. So, so metrics that we track along with um, uh, financial growth, EBITDA, uh, ARR, and other financial key financial uh, growth, we also track against our sustainability goals and our diversity aspirations, and we report out. Uh, to our board, we report them out publicly and we report them out to all of our employees. So there's a level of transparency there that I think um, inherently drives the level of accountability as well. Yeah, and, and to Eric's point, you know, those strategic business KPIs that now sustainability and diversity sit within makes it not just our job. Right. Everyone off Genesis has the same responsibility to help us meet those metrics. And that is part of how you, that's truly how you get out of uh, performative is when you operationalize mm -hmm. those right. guys. And now everyone across the business is just as responsible. We just happen to lead this great piece of work, but it's yep. truly everyone's job. Yeah. And I do want to say, like, I, I do recognize that everyone needs to start somewhere. Uh, and so I do think when I say performative, I do think there are many leaders, many organizations that have very good intentions and they they want to do well. They want to get into the space. They're not really sure how to do it. And so what they're doing probably will come off as performative. <laughs> um, as long as they recognize there, there, you know, there are steps towards growth and development in this area and, and putting out a press release um, in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. Uh, it's, it's a signal, but if you follow that up then with continued conversations and systematizing um, you know, things like you were just mentioning, that's where you start to get to the real impact. Uh, and yeah. so for anyone listening, who's thinking, uh, you know, I really want to do this. I don't really know how to do this. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, sometimes people consider it kind of a minefield and, and I'm, I'm worried about, you know, stepping in a place that's not safe and et cetera, just come as you are, come where you're at, start trying, talk to people and, and, and develop over time. And I think we can all get to a place of improvement in fairly short order, if we're committed to getting beyond the performative elements. So anyways, I just wanted to mention that because I, I do know there are, are people with good intentions that want to do more and I don't want to discourage them from starting somewhere. Absolutely. I think, but I, I, think I would go ahead. Dave, I'll just say one quick thing. I, I will say that being in sustainability for over 10 years, a lot of this work does usually come as a groundswell. It's, you know, a passion of employees and they're trying to roll it uphill. Um, but we're truly, I think, has the greatest success for those who are trying to figure out what's next. It that if it's not a top-down approach, you just 
really don't get the benefit to the business. We are very lucky and blessed that we have a CEO who is a committed and a TLT who is committed to the initiatives just as much as we are uh, or a leadership team. Um, when you don't have that, and many don't, you know, we talk to our colleagues all the time and they don't have the support, the alignment um, or the authority to go and truly drive the change. Um, and that's where it becomes extremely difficult and it can make people lose their their fire for it because you, you feel like you're constantly running uphill against bulldozers coming down at you. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good way to describe it. I, it I've often said. I've often said it just feels like you're like pounding your head against a brick wall, you know, sometimes um, running uphill in a bulldozer is trying to plow you down. That's a great way to frame it. Um, it. It can be very challenging, even the even in the best of circumstances where you have top down support, it's still challenging work. Uh, and so let's let's try to, you know, take away the barriers to the extent possible um, so that we don't burn people out so that people can feel empowered uh, to, to drive these changes. You know, I, I would say part of what makes that the challenge, right, um, is the consistent uh, shifting of the landscape of the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, when we started this work three years ago, you know, as Bridget mentioned, th- there was a lot of a groundswell of enthusiasm uh, that you could see across the industry. And it awakened what I called organized opposition. Mm-hmm. And now the organized opposition understands the, the momentum that was building, you know, particularly around the DEI space. And now you're seeing things shift. You're seeing decisions like the you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned, the latest decision around affirmative action. And I think for me, what I've witnessed, you know, just having these conversations with, with my peers in the industry, other chief diversity officers and how they're navigating some of this, I think the difference maker between performative and sustainable work is really rooted in your values. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are your corporate values and what do you stand for? Because anytime there's a question as to whether we lean in here or we don't, is there a question, do we get behind this one particular issue or do we hold steady here when the wind is shifting us in one direction or the next? Mm-hmm. I, I always challenge our, our leadership to go back to our corporate values. What did we say we wanted to be and who we are? And that helps you with really sifting through a lot of the nuances that surface as a result of changes in the tide. And I think a lot of companies, at least some of the ones I've witnessed where CDOs have left their posts after a couple of years and talking to them personally about their challenges, the company wasn't clear on their corporate values. And it was easy to shift with the change in the wind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it certainly continues to be messy. You know, you just think, about the political, the social and political landscape and how things have, have changed in the past three years. Um, this isn't a political podcast, so we're not going to get into all of that today, but it does uh, add a level of complexity to what you're trying to do in your organizations. Um, and, frankly, where you're located um, and where you're trying to do this work, right? Um, now, I, I, at the very beginning, on the outset, I talked about demystifying corporate social activism. Of course, we've been talking about that the whole time, but I, I think it would be worth taking a moment to just really define that. What do you mean by that? Um, how do we go about uh, demystifying corporate social activism? We've been talking about how organizations can get involved um, in social activism. Uh, why is this mystifying and how can we demystify it? Yeah, I, you know, I think I'll, I'll respond by kind of 
reacting a bit to what you said about I, I understand that there's there's the the intent of this conversation was not to get into politics, but I think regardless of what your politics are, as these various uh, social events occur, you still have to lean in on what your values are and what's going to fuel you. And I'll tell you, for example, at Genesis, um, you know, we've taken probably more of a socially activist activist approach than than most. You'll you you can look back through you know various uh, public statements around different events that have happened from January sixth to I mentioned Roe v. Wade, even to the affirmative action decision. Not once did we take a political position. We the one where we the approach we took it was around human rights and and the impact that it has on you know individuals as a human to be able to uh, uh, live in safe spaces. And to be able to operate in a way whether they feel like their civil liberties are not at risk, and it doesn't matter whether you're you're a Democrat or a Republican. That's a matter of looking at it through a human uh, equity yeah. eyes, right? And that's the approach that we've taken at Genesis, uh, because it, it's it's not to me it's not about politics. It's not about taking a political stance. It's about understanding what your values are, and as a result, letting that determine um, your social activism. Yeah, and I think to that point, <clears throat> the reason why I feel like we kind of demystified it. So uh, through Eric's uh, team, we have these inclusion groups globally. And in addition to inclusion groups, out of those inclusion groups, we have given and empowered our employees to truly speak through a voice and through a lens that is specific to them. They get to curate those conversations too. Um, Eric and his team make sure not to tell them what to say. They they come up with different um, conversations. So they will have and put together empathy hours to address any of these topics that might come up or uh, there's a need to talk about. And the fact that they have the space to do that is so important. We've had so many employees say, I've never been someplace where I could even have this conversation. Mm-hmm. It could be just as sm- simple as adoption or mm-hmm. being of different ethnicities and growing up in a different household or you know, there were so many conversations we've had since I've been here over the past three years that even, you know, over two decades, you know, being in this corporate world, I've just been amazed that we've been as vulnerable as we have been to allow our, our employees the space and the place to really have the empathy they need. And to, you know, uh, and, and because of that, I think that in itself had demystifies any type of ability to be their social activism is innate to them they get to express it how they want to now luckily they usually and mostly are extremely conscious of making sure they don't violate others in the process but you know we we don't try to um i haven't seen them you know to be censored it's just been a very open and vulnerable space and over the past three years of these all of our groups really creating those opportunities well, one other quick, quick, quick note I've shared, uh, John, in terms of our approach at demystifying social activism is, you know, w- w- there was a, a mechanism that we put into place early on, which was basically a decision rubric that looks at when certain events happen around mm-hmm. the globe and allows us to do a self-check to determine mm-hmm. whether or not this is something we have credibility uh, against to to engage in? Do we make a statement? Do we remain silent? Do we go beyond a statement and put maybe it has an impact on some of our benefits or or how we uh, engage with our employees? 
And it's basically a, a pretty clear uh, rubric that we go through a quick check and, and things like, what have we spoken out on something like this before? What could be the impact to our employees? What could be the impact to our customers? Uh, reputational risk and these types of things. And we put that mechanism in place. Bridget participates in some of those conversations. Sometimes it's ahead of HR with comms and, and depending on the severity of the scenario, Tony himself may weigh in. And we use that as a way of, the, of kind of guiding ourselves through these different social events as they surface. And it's been one of the key, key ways in which we at Genesis have, have worked to demystify uh, social activism. Yeah, and I mean, I think everyone knows, you know, when Dr. ML, Dr. Martin Luther King, when he talked about, um, you know, silence is just as, you know, as a form of complicity. And right. we have realized that, you know, being silent doesn't give our employees the support they need. Um, so whether it's us just having simple things, even if it's not a statement, right? So to Eric's point, it might not be a statement. It might be an empathy hour mm-hmm. that we that needs to take place for employees. Um, and, you know, when Buffalo happened, you know, just this yeah. recent event in Jacksonville, we want to make sure that our employees know that there is space for them to speak and speak. You know, we don't know what it's might a process. Like. It's a yeah. process. Yeah. And I, I love how you've systematized this. Uh, I love ha- having a, a values-based rubric um, to, to look at these different types of events uh, or, or different conditions that are occurring, the different approaches that you take within the organization, uh, you know, in large part, depending on what the event is, but also the needs of your people and ultimately just providing a safe space for them to come and be genuine, authentic, and vulnerable with each other and to share. It takes a lot of trust uh, to create that kind of a space. And my suspicion is that didn't happen overnight. Like it takes work to develop that kind of trust, um, but it's very powerful when you have it. And so, yeah, it, it, I, I hope that we don't have to devolve into like um, partisan politics with people, you know, just feeling s- so strongly in one camp or the other that they can't come together and have these human conversations around these challenging issues. Um, it, it doesn't need to be that way. Like we, we can just be there as human beings with each other, um, listening to each other, trying to understand each other and understanding what's happening and what's how, how things are impacting each other. Um, that goes a really long way to, regardless of, you know, where you might lean um, in terms of politics or, or partisan politics or whatever. Well, this has just been a really great conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we could talk about, um, but I know at the time and I need to let you go here in just a minute. So before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you and find out more about your work and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Bridget McAdoo, but please do visit our sustainability website. So it's uh, genesis.com slash sustainability. You can find our report, all the th- great things we're doing. It'll also take you to our DNI page where you can find all of our great things that are happening across our inclusion groups and our diversity teams. Um, and uh, I think my final thing would be, you know, especially for leaders out there is just to make sure that you are rooted in your values, both personally and professionally, and, and that the leadership is committed to them. Yeah, I, I would uh, echo that. I mean, you, you, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn at, at Eric Thomas, um, uh, not the motivational speaker, but the other Eric Thomas. Um, and I think in, in terms of just, you know, leading with empathy um, and, and being committed to embedding inclusion into the structure of how you do things 
It's not about increasing representation of women or black folk. It's about making sure that as a company, how you do things and your policies and your practices, that you're thinking with the most marginalized groups in mind Mm -hmm. and you build from there. I love it. Eric and Bridget, it has just been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Eric and Bridget can do for you, about Genesis and the cool things that they're doing there. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Are you the proprietor of a business selling shaving kits, meal packs, audiobooks, or anything else of the sort? Have you failed to tap the market of people who love hearing their favorite comedians talk about their boring lives? What's wrong with you? 57% of U.S. consumers listen to podcasts every month. That's a lot of ears that could be hearing about your brand. Go to podbean.com slash brands to learn how it do. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands, and you could be the one talking instead of me.